Welcome to the Losing Weight with Fasting and Mindful Eating podcast. I am your host, Monika Banach, an advanced practice nurse and a weight loss coach. I am so grateful for you taking the time to listen to today's episode. Hello and welcome to another Losing Weight with Fasting and Mindful Eating Podcast. My name is Monique Banak. I am an advanced practice nurse, health coach, and a weight loss coach. Today, I have a special guest on with me. Her name is Ruba Shalabi. She is a food addiction recovery coach. She also does biodynamic breath work, and she is a trauma release practitioner. She also is an author of the book, Beyond the Emptiness, and How I Found Fullness Outside of Food. Today, we are going to discuss why overeating is not the problem, that it is the consequence, how to break obsessions with food, what it means to eat real food, and why you should do that. Just as always, everything discussed here is for educational purposes only. None of this is medical advice, so always consult your PCP before making any changes. All right, so let's get started. It's so good to have you, Ruba. Thank you for taking the time to come and chat with me. Good, and happy to connect with you. It's always nice to meet people on Instagram and connect from various parts of the world and realize that we have the same interests and same challenges. And yeah. Tell me a little bit about, like, I know that you have a story behind this. You had an issue with food addiction. Can you just kind of touch on that a little bit? Yeah. So I was born with a very big appetite and my mom would try to control it as much as she could because for her, it was like a girl is not supposed to eat that much and society's expectation, a woman's worth is her body and So it creates this enemy status of I am my worst enemy and this detachment from this body that is not listening to me, that I'm unable to control. And yet everybody's trying to control this body. And growing up in those circumstances is very difficult. You have a mother who's trying her Mm -hmm. best in order not to have her daughter Mm -hmm. overeat. And you have a confused child who feels deprived of love, who feels unworthy, who feels like so much shame and so much alienation from a body. So what happened is, of course, I started eating in secret. I eat in hiding. My mom hides food. I do treasure hunts and I find the food and I eat it and then revenge she comes to get it and she doesn't find it and for me it's woohoo victory I ate all of it so you want to cook cookies and just share it with the people that you love and you don't love me and you're not going to feed me your cookies okay I'm going to eat all of them so when the people that love you come over there will be no cookies for you to feed them so yeah this is a summary of my childhood hiding and cringing and hating God for creating me with a body with a very large appetite and having a very negative relationship with my mom because I was convinced Mm -hmm. that she did not love me. 
Gosh, you know what? I'm sure so many people can relate to that. I hear those stories all the time. A lot of times, food addictions do start in early childhood. That's where they start to develop. And then they get worse as we get into adulthood. Yeah, because addiction, I mean, is a consequence. Mm -hmm. So overeating is a consequence. Overeating is not the problem. Mm -hmm. Overeating is the outcome of another problem. And usually the person Mm -hmm. is using food as a refuge. There is a pain. And to numb the pain, Mm -hmm. I overate. I escaped my reality through finding refuge in food because food was kind of, and food ends up being my abusive lover. Mm. I know food is my lover and food equals love, yet it's an abusive relationship. Mm. And your mind wants something and your body wants something else. And you feel like there are two parts of you and those two parts, each one wants one wants to overeat and binge all the time. Mm-hmm. And another part wants to be thin and you're unable to reconcile both of them together. Wow. I mean, that's so powerful and so true. Wow. I mean, same, you know, with myself as well. I know that my food addiction started back when I lived, I grew up in Poland and during like communism, like Mm -hmm. you were not allowed to leave any food on the plate. Like it was literally a Mm -hmm. sin to leave any food on the plate. And so like to this day, it's still hard for me to leave a piece of food on the plate because I feel bad about it because that's how food was cherished. Like it was the most important thing and you don't waste any food. Yeah, I come from a similar culture where there are people that are deprived and it's also unethical. Let's put it this way. It's like, how dare you leave leftover food in Mm -hmm. your plate? And there are people hungry and unable to have food. But then through my recovery journey, I learned I am not the waste bin. Yeah. That the waste bin yeah. is the waste bin. And I am yeah. not that waste bin. I'd rather go to the trash can than waste in my hips, right? That's what I always say. That's what I tell my clients. I was like, would you read, rather that food go in the trash or in your hips? It's your choice. Mm-hmm. I mean, the difficult question here is like, how do you break this obsession with food? Like, what do we do to even begin working on it? Okay. So... There are a lot of conventional wisdoms and none of those conventional wisdom worked with me. I went so many times to dietitians and I felt so ashamed and the dietitian was scoring me for where is my willpower and why can't I eat a tiny bit of chocolate and a tiny bit of this and a tiny bit of that. And I spent 40 years trying to eat a tiny bit. Yeah. And feeling so bad for not having willpower not mm-hmm. to overeat. And I felt it was my mistake. And there is something broken in me because I'm unable to muster the willpower to be a normal eater. Mm-hmm. Same with fitness instructors who are like, bang, 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 exercise, run, do this. I mean, fitness at school was torture for me. Fitness instructors don't understand obesity, don't understand Mm -hmm. overeating. They don't understand trauma. They don't understand that there are certain bodies that are in freeze mode and being there and harassing them and forcing them to do things is just going to increase the trauma more and more and more and more. So I was very lucky to come across the concept of food addiction, of realizing like Mm -hmm. 
very much like alcoholism, very much like drug addiction, very yeah. much like smoking. My brain has a chemical dependency to food. And not all type of foods, because of course, I'm not overeating lettuce, I'm not overeating cucumbers, <laughs> and I'm not overeating anything that comes in its pure form yes. from nature. Everything that I am mm -hmm. overeating is very high in sugar, is very high in mm -hmm. flour, is very high in fat. Usually there's a marketing department behind it promoting it. And sometimes also it's sweets and pastries and the like of it. So understanding that my brain had a chemical dependencies on those. And for me to break this obsession with food, I need to refrain from what is creating this obsession in the first place was yeah. something that I was willing to try out and to see, okay, I've tried everything else. And I, I went through 40 years of overeating. Let me try this and see what kind of result it gives. And what actually happened is removing this obsession and the distraction with food mm -hmm. created space for my emotional growth and my spiritual growth. Because if I'm going to decide I want to have a diet and I don't want to work on my emotional and spiritual growth, there's going to come a time where, where am I going to find refuge if it's yeah. not food? It has to be food because I'm unwilling to work on other parts of my life. And for some, they're like, okay, I'm going to work on my emotional and spiritual growth, but I don't want to touch on my food. Mm -hmm. And here comes the dissociation and the separation mm -hmm. from the body. It's like, I don't live in my body. And then you're not really taking care of the body and making sure that you get the body to a place of peace. And the beauty mm -hmm. of the food addiction recovery model is that it works on the body, on the mind, on the soul, on the emotions. It's all integrated and goes in parallel. Yeah. Well, I agree. And you can't just work on one thing. You can't like try to just fix your food or take away the food without working on your mind because it all mm -hmm. it's all interconnected. You know, when you eat good foods, you feel better. When you work on your mind, you feel better. You eat better. It's all just like this interconnected thing. You can't do one without the other. And you, you know, it's funny you mentioned that. Yeah. How many people do you have that overeat broccoli? I don't know None. anyone. It's always <laughs> things, other things like donuts and sugar, those things that are meant to have that addictive dopamine addictive substance and your your mind continues to crave that dopamine hit because it's associated with pleasure in our pleasure center in our mind yes that's mm -hmm. that's so powerful so well easier said than done i'm sure some people say so how do you start and how long does it even take to overcome some of those things i know that you do some of that work with your clients but how do you even start when you're kind of on that phase where you, you feel like you can't stop, but you want to? <laughs> yeah, there comes a time where you need to decide, are you going to give up on yourself or are you going to give up on life? And giving up on yourself and giving up on life is not going to be a rewarding and pleasant journey. So in my case, I went through a crisis that made me realize that everything I was investing in was in things outside of my span of control because I was overeating so that everything else in my life 
was under control. And guess what? My food was out of control. And at that time, I was very disappointed. There were a lot of things happening where I felt I was used and abused and I was not appreciated for all the efforts that I did. Mm -hmm. And it took me through an introspection journey and a healing journey of realizing, well, Ruba, I am allowing that to happen to me because I am focusing my energy on things outside of my control. Mm -hmm. And the things that are within my control is taking care of me is something that I had been neglecting. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start gradually switching and focusing on taking care of me and seeing what that is going to lead to. And that's how my change journey started. And that's my invitation to anyone struggling. It's like, you cannot control the work environment. You cannot control what's happening in the world. Look at COVID, look at the economic yeah. situation, look at everything. The outside world is outside of our control. For stay-at-home mothers, they cannot control their husbands. They cannot control their kids. Mm -hmm. For people that are so passionate and so connected and their identity is so related to work, you cannot control the work environment. The only person that we can control yeah. and we can influence is how we treat ourselves. And that's where my journey started because it was at that stage where I was ready to get outside of my comfort zone and get into a growth zone. Because when we are open to change, mm -hmm. we will be inspired by others. We are open to listen. We are open to experiment. We are open to play with new concepts and stuff. If we are in a fear zone and we're very defensive, we will not be open to experimenting with new things. So we need to sit down and self-reflect whether we are worthy of an investment or not. And there is no straight line. It's one day at a time. However, if we don't put the effort, yes. it's not going to lead us anywhere. When we look at the child learning how to mm -hmm. walk, it's not easy learning how to walk, yep. but the child doesn't give up falls down, stands up and walks again. And the best way to, to approach it is one day at a time, yeah. one day at a time. Small steps, don't overwhelm yourself because this did not happen yesterday. The food addiction, the habit of eating for comfort did not happen in a month. Could it be going, like you said, 40, you know, 40, 30 years for some people. So you can't, you have to be patient with yourself. You can't expect it to heal within a month or, or two even. Like, what is the first step, you know, outside of realizing, okay, I do need help. What's the first easiest step that someone can take in order to start changing the relationship with food? There's no one road that leads to Rome. I mean, for some, it's going through a spiritual awakening. For others, it's working on their emotions and starting to connect with their emotions so that they can have a much more loving relationship with themselves because investing in something is also investing into having a loving relationship with ourselves. For others, it's starting the program and starting a detox journey and taking a decision that they're choosing out of choice mm -hmm. to stop sugar and flour in order to detox their body and create the space to work on themselves. So I wouldn't say there is one way. And what I usually do is I create awareness sessions. I do free challenges is to encourage people to understand the nature of their problem and the steps that are required for them to be able to know, okay, 
these are some of the actions that I feel inspired to begin to take. Mm -hmm. And it kind of creates in them the seeds of change so that they feel that they're ready to do something about it. Because again, it's so multifaceted. Our hunger is not a hunger for food. We have had emotional deprivation and we have a hunger for emotions. We have a spiritual hunger. Some of us have a hole inside of us. And the more we eat, the bigger the hole. And we don't understand. We're still eating to fill up this hole. Mm -hmm. And of course, the way we eat and how we eat is very important. But also connecting to our emotions and starting to learn how to address our needs is also very important doing a journey of self-love and inner peace and self-reconciliation. And there's also an important facet. So it all depends. It's very hard to start everything together. And usually that's why the best approach is to work with a coach because the coach is able to guide you in yeah. this gigantic change journey so that you have someone who is holding your hand and helping you through this process. Yeah, I love that. I 100% agree. And, you know, something that you just mentioned, so in my health coaching program that I went through the IIN, this is exactly what they talk about, is that the food on your plate is actually the secondary food. The primary food is the outside stuff like relationships, spirituality, movement of your body, and career. Like if your job is awful, you hate your work, you go to work, you stress, that's going to lead to you overeating. It's all correlated. If you know, if you are in a bad relationship, toxic relationship, the food you are automatically going to be using bad foods to comfort yourself if that's something that you do normally. So yeah, it really is. You can't have one without the other. And like Ruba said, you know, if this is something that you've been struggling with for years, you know, what, what is it worth to you? Like if you hiring a coach and someone that can walk you through it and help you get through this, at least the initial cycle of it. So you can be successful, not feel like you're struggling every time you try something new. I want to focus on this topic of readiness because I mean, when we talk about readiness, there is the mental readiness is knowing what I should be doing in terms of knowing, yeah, these are the steps that will lead to a positive outcome. Mm -hmm. And it's not necessarily mental readiness from a perspective of what conventional medicine says. It's like going and and seeing a dietitian or exercising more, so eating less and exercising more, but having an idea, okay, I think what would work for me in my situation is doing one, two, three. But then again, are we emotionally ready to do that? And what are our fears? What are we afraid about? Do we feel that we will have the supportive environment to support us to do it? And then also there's, are we financially ready? Because- mm -hmm. If people are spending money on stuff, are yes. you going to keep on spending your money on huge food bills or are you going to use some of that saving to spend money on your well-being so that later on you don't have to overspend on medical bills and really taking care of your self-development, of your well-being? And, and, mm -hmm. and here comes the decision of the trade-offs that one has to do is what is worthy of your money and what is not worthy of your money and how are you going to reallocate your spending in mm -hmm. terms of pots of money so that you can better take care of your health and allow yourself to go into a healthier aging. 
if you are in, you know, in this stage, ask yourself those questions that Ruba just said, you know, am I, what are my fears? Am I ready? You know, am I financially ready to invest in myself? Because you, you can't look at it as an expense. Expense is doing what you've been doing for the last 20, 30 years. Investing and getting help is not an expense, in my opinion. And I 100% believe in coaches and, you know, people that obviously can help you, you know, you don't want to just get like a coaching plan online and think that that's going to help you or read one book and thinking that reading a book is going to help you. If you don't implement it in your life, it's not going to work. Believing that you are worthy of investment, believing that you are not a lost cause, that you are worthy of investing into yourself instead of investing on others. You matter. Mm -hmm. You you are worthy. Because when you are well, everybody around you will be well. When you are not Mm -hmm. well, everybody will be worried about you. And I remember a fellow food addict in his recovery journey, eight months into his recovery, his seven-year-old son came and hugged him and told him, there's something I want to tell you. Right now, I'm sleeping much better because I don't have to worry at night that you're going to die. Oh, wow. That's so beautiful and so powerful. What is every single month or every single year costing you by not fixing this issue? Not only your health, your mental health, your overall health, chronic diseases, mental health, and life. I mean, if you're single, for example, like that could be costing you meeting people that you want to be with because you're afraid of going out because that food addiction is running your whole life. So we did touch a little bit about certain foods that are definitely more addicting, you know, like we talked about Mm -hmm. vegetables, you know, we don't have many people that overeat on vegetables. So what are some ways of including more real foods in your diet? The diet that I follow or the meal plan that I follow is a meal plan that is extremely rich in fiber. So again, each person is what's Mm -hmm. the objective. In my case, my objective is to break my obsession with food. I'm not going to have food that are going to fuel my cycle of obsession and further sabotage my relationship with food. So if my objective is to break the obsession with food, then there are certain foods that I will choose to avoid because they're counterproductive to my intention to break my cycle of obsession. Mm -hmm. However, removing certain food is going to allow for an abundance of food. And if I look to any food addict or overeater, I doubt that they're having a large variety of food. Whereas if Mm -hmm. I look now how I eat, the number of vegetables I eat, the number of vegetables that I discovered in this journey, Mm -hmm. the number of fruits I eat, I also eat small amounts of protein and small amounts of nature-based starch that is not processed like corn and potato Mm -hmm. and and peas and beans and stuff. So yeah, so what we're trying to do is having food that requires digestion, Mm -hmm. is having food that creates a slow release of sugar in the bloodstream because the body is so much used to running on high sugar 
that we need to break the cycle somewhere. And in my case, what I advocate is a detox process. And a detox process is really a process of detoxing the body from sugar and flour and creating structure around eating. And it's not about eating less. It's about eating the right amounts. And actually, it's about eating much more of the right things. And also because for overeaters, there's a hungry ghost Mm -hmm. and many are kind of either black and white in terms of either they go through cycles of deprivation and then they go through binging because Mm -hmm. they're trying to adjust. And I describe that very similar to the old radios when the volume doesn't work properly and you try to reduce the volume and then it becomes too low and then you readjust, it becomes too high and the middle is not working. And it's exactly this fine-tuning process. The middle does not work. This moderation tuning does not work. It's either too Mm -hmm. little food or too much food. So what happens is I eat every four hours and I fast in between those four hours. So I can drink water, I can drink a herbal tea, but I do not eat. I fast in between four hours. So I eat four meals a day, four hours apart, which ends up I'm eating like over 10 hours or 11 hours in a day. And then I'm fasting for the rest of the day. And I'm also fasting in between my meals. And the fact that I'm eating four meals is a way to train the nervous system that there's going to be food every four hours. Mm -hmm. And I also weigh my food so that the brain knows and sees visually that I'm eating the right nourishment. So whenever I have a food craving, I know that the food craving is not about hunger. It's not a physical Mm -hmm. hunger. The food craving is a sign that I am disconnected from my needs. It's an invitation to connect to my emotions and to attend to my needs. So to go back into training the nervous system from a scarcity and famine perspective that we're going to run out of food into the predictability and the rhythm Mm -hmm. that I will be eating every four hours, food is not going to run away. And I'm going to be eating large quantities of food because volume-wise, it's a lot of food. It's fresh food. It's food that is very rich in fiber, very rich in nutrients. It's a food that's going to change the color of your skin. It's food that's going to nourish each and every cell in your body and make your body a much healthier body over time because cells regenerate and they're going to be regenerating based on the input that you're giving them. Mm-hmm. A lot of my clients or people that follow me are, they live like a fasting focused lifestyle. And that this is one big thing I tell them is that if you do have a binge eating disorder, fasting can actually make it worse. When I first started fasting, I was in that vicious cycle, fasting, binging, fasting, binging. It actually made it worse till I finally started working on the mental aspect of it. And so technically, if you do have a binge eating disorder, you should not be doing those long fasts because it creates even more of that scarcity in your mind And your mind, when you start to eat, you go into this binge fest. So if that continues to happen and that's the cycle, definitely get some, reach out for some help because you don't, you're doing probably more damage than good. Fasting is great for your body, but if it's done in the wrong aspect, especially with like eating disorders, 
it can actually do more damage than good. You mentioned avoiding sugar and flour. So do you completely take it out? Like when you start, like you completely eliminate it from your diet? I went yeah. cold turkey. And when I work with my clients, I go cold turkey. Cold turkey. Okay. So I, com- I completely eliminate it. Yeah. So it's sugar, it's flour, it's anything in concentrated sugar mm-hmm. form. So it's any molasses. It's like, you know, sugar has six names. It's any sweetener. Also no juices, no dried fruit. So going back to eating fresh or cooked food as close as possible to nature, food that is very rich in fiber to really allow slow release of sugar into the bloodstream and Mm -hmm. to really break the cycle of obsession with food. And the satiety as well, because assuming you eat fiber-rich foods, mm-hmm. you feel fuller. And it's not just that exactly. quick donut that like, oh, and it's so, yes, addicting. I follow the, the food addiction recovery meal plan. There are many variations of the food addiction recovery meal plans. But I mean, this is more of the school of thought because my primary focus is breaking my obsession with food. I have experimented a lot Because when I stopped eating sugar and flour and I'm not eating anything that numbs my body, my body Mm -hmm. is very alive. And then I start realizing how my body responds to certain foods. And I realized that my body is much happier when I'm eating raw food. However, eating raw food when the weather is cold, I feel much colder. So, So it's also listening to our bodies. I also realized that whenever I have an animal protein, the satiety level is much higher. Whereas if I have a vegetable protein, the satiety is lower. Mm. And so my body responds better to animal source protein. And that's what I honor and I listen to. So the invitation is There is no one model that works for anyone. It's this creating this intimacy and this uh, ability and awareness of the body and seeing how is my body responding to what I'm feeding it. Once the body is clear and once the body is detoxed, the body is going to give the right responses. And at the end, it's a variety. It's it's having as many colors in our plates is trying like I eat four fruits a day because I have four meals. I try to have four different fruits. Mm -hmm. And it's also to train my brain to move from scarcity to abundance and realizing that, yeah, I should not be anxious about food. So, so diversifying the food. And as I'm talking about diversifying the food, I'm having images of Poland because I love Poland. (laughs) And you were talking about Poland and all the cuisine and the colors of Poland. Well, I mean, unfortunately, we have a lot of a lot of starchy foods in Poland, meat and potatoes, meat and potatoes. So, but yes, that's awesome. Have you been? Have you ever been to Poland? Yes, I did. I did my breathwork training in the countryside near Krakow. Oh, wow. So, so yeah. It's not the Wim Hof area. Did you do the Wim Hof? Because he Uh, has a training in Poland somewhere. Yeah, no, it's biodynamic breathwork and trauma release. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. I love that. Yeah. So you did write a book. Let's talk about your book, yes. Beyond the Emptiness, How I Found Fullness Outside of Food. 
what inspired you to write the book and how did you, I haven't read it yet, but I want to read it. So I'm going to get it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and I look forward to reading it. So I felt I owe it out to any person that has struggled with the relationship with food to have a share of my voice and tell them what I have discovered. I owed it to, out to give people hope that the conventional ways of doing things are not the only truth and that there are other ways that are more holistic, that are mind, body, and soul based, that could be the answer. And I also felt that people don't realize that overeating is a consequence. They think that overeating is the problem. So I wanted to write a book to explain that overeating is a consequence and that the root mm -hmm. cause of What is leading us to eat is somewhere else. And usually you will find it a lot in understanding the traumas of your childhood and healing the traumas of your childhood. So yeah, the book is an autobiography. I talk about my childhood to explain what caused my overeating because my overeating did not drop from the sky. So I explain in my personal situation what my healing journey taught me and made me remember about what caused my overeating in the first place. And then I also talk about my healing journey and that it's not just about a diet. It's about an emotional growth and it's about a spiritual mm. growth and it's about changing our approach to life and how we deal with life and readjusting the way we live. And yeah, it's my personal story. It has a lot of my drawings that I did as part of my healing journey. It has mm. a lot of pictures and poems as well from my healing journey. And yeah, so it focuses on my transformation and it goes kind of backwards to talk about my childhood and all of the related traumas about that at the beginning of the book. I yeah. love that. That's awesome. Where can people find you if they want to reach out and of course get, get her book and read it if, if this is something that you've been struggling with for a while? Beyond the Emptiness and How I Found Fullness Outside of Food by Ruba Shalabi. I'll link that in the podcast description. They can find me on Instagram. So my account on okay. Instagram is abstinent.salads. Awesome. I'll link your Instagram handle below as well. And so mm -hmm. feel free to reach out to Ruba. And again, if this is something you've been struggling with for a while, get some help. And thank you so much for sharing this time with us and educating about food addiction. I think it's such a big issue out there. Thank you again, Ruba, for your time. And I look forward to sharing this podcast with everyone. Thank you.